As you're, as you get ready this morning to spend a holiday weekend, some of you have tomorrow off, so you got plans and everything, but I want you to know God has a plan for you. He's positioned you for success. But a lot of times we think because of upbringing or mistakes that we've made too many mistakes to really be successful in an area of life. But I want to read a passage of scripture that I think is so important. It's out of the book of Matthew chapter 10. And this is important because out of Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8, it says, as you go and preach. But a lot of times people think preaching is like some guy yelling on a corner and somebody saying, you're going to hell. And it looks like they just got back. That's not the preaching we're talking about. As you go, you're going to be speaking. And when you're speaking, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because you're there. You're representing God now as a believer. And when you do that, you're going to be able to see these people that you're talking to, that you're imparting into and helping, you're going to see them get healed. It says heal the sick. You're going to see them be able to cleanse. In other words, sickness that, that is incurable, to cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Not just literally, but, but relationally and supernaturally, all of those things. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. How many of you know some people have bad stuff in them? Okay, maybe it's you over here. Some of you have, they have bad juju in them. And you got to get the devil out so you can get God in. But you got to get that stuff out. But look at this last portion. Freely you have received, freely you give. In other words, God's saying, the kingdom of heaven, you receive this freely. You don't earn it. You don't qualify for it. You can't, you can't preach it into existence. You can't speak it into existence. You can't work it into existence. It's been freely given unto you. And as you've been freely received it, then you freely give it back out. I want to talk to you this morning about being positioned for God to use you with this great power. Position for power. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It is truly a lamp and it's a light. And we're trusting you to just ignite people with hope today. Let them know, Lord, that you've already qualified them and equipping them even now as I'm speaking. In Jesus' name, and all God's men and women said, amen. amen. Now, I want to encourage you too. this Tuesday. Well, actually, tomorrow it's Labor Day, but we do have prayer in here in the morning. Uh, we call it God Talk. It's from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Tomorrow we'll have prayer, but also Tuesday and Wednesday. Men, Tuesday night, 6.30. It's an hour uh, or so. We're going to have an hour and a half, I should say. We have the block. But I want to just call all men to just invest in that Tuesday. This Tuesday we're going to start a men's Bible study just to hang out together. You don't have to go like, oh, my gosh, I don't know anything. That's good. Or if you know everything, you're awesome. But no matter what, you can, you can come and be a part of it. It starts this Tuesday night. And then Wednesday, we have a great opportunity for ladies to connect together with the women's study on Wednesday night at 630. And then also Friday, if you'd like to be an usher, greeter, or you're already doing that, we'll have a tailgate party for y'all. So something every week, city center's open. Uh, we got lots of stuff happening. But I want you to think about something this morning. Because in the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament. Testament concealed. And when you, when you conceal things in the Old Testament, it's really a revelation to get revealed in the New Testament. 
In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a book called Joel in the Old Testament. And in this book called Joel, Joel the prophet, he gives this great prophecy about in the last days that God would do something amazing. He would pour his spirit out on all people. He called it flesh, all people, and something would happen as a result. Your sons and daughters would prophesy. Old men would dream dreams. Young people would have great vision. That prophecy was fulfilled in the New Testament in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, on the 50th day, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, they were all in the upper room, and like cloven tongues of fire, the the Lord just poured out on them an, an amazing language so they can speak in every known dialect that was worshiping at Passover. The historian Josephus tells us that over two million pilgrims were coming to Jerusalem to worship at Passover. So they know, they have many different languages and dialects in those days, and out of that upper room, God began to break off those dialects and fill them with this out, uh, this inward power, but it was displayed outwardly so they could share the wonderful news about Jesus. But after that happened, now we have Jesus. He, he, uh, when that happened, Jesus is on the scene. And when Jesus was on the scene, something amazing happened. He was baptized first. The reason he was baptized first, I believe, is because God wanted to show us that it's not about works. Because before Jesus ever started performing miracles, laying hands on people, raising people from the dead, igniting the, the sight for blind people, the scriptures say he was baptized like we saw this, after, this morning. And when he was baptized, when that happened, Father spoke to the Son and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I like that because it shows you and I something. Before there's any works to be done, before there's anything to be accomplished, God's already well pleased. He's well pleased with the Son, and God Almighty is well pleased with you. We know that because Jesus, after he went to his Father, he gave the disciples, his sons and his daughters, his peeps, he gave them power. And he said, as you go, you're going to have this amazing power. I read it this morning in that chapter. But in Acts chapter 3, we see this power on display. Peter and John were going to the temple like a church service, like today we would have. And they were going there to, to have a service, to pray, to give alms, and, you know, to honor God. And what happened, there was a man by the gate of beautiful that was wanting some resources, as we see in our society today. And as he was wanting some resources, Peter and John no longer had this uh, one-time only experience. Now they had an everyday experience because they said, look at us. I want you to see that important passage because it says in that passage of Scripture, they looked to the man that was begging and they said, look to us. Look to us, because silver and gold, we don't have that. But what we do have, we have the the strength within us for you to rise up in the name of Jesus and walk. And the Bible says that man was lame from birth. He rose up, he walked, and he went about Jerusalem, and he caused a great stir. Well, persecution came. And as a result of persecution, the pressure was on, as Jennifer said. But guess what they did? They didn't retreat to their us for and no more. They came to a service and they prayed for more power. And they said, grant to your servants boldness that may stretch out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders would be done to that holy child, Jesus. And the Bible says, and when they had prayed, the book of Acts says the place was shaken where they were assembled together. That's an amazing thought that God has this ability to give us a position to have that power. 
to have that power to be filled to overflow, to speak in a heavenly language. Every believer, when you become a believer, you have that opportunity. It's not a special necessarily moment. If you would just step out in faith, every believer can have that. Peter at the house of Cornelius, he went there. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know there was a resurrection. But before he finished his three-point sermon, they were saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in water. They began to speak in other tongues. It's not a matter of being mature. It's not a matter of, you know, I'm, I'm not qualified. Now I am qualified. I went through growth tracks. I went to Bible study. All you have to do is believe. If you believe, all things are possible. It shall happen unto thee. You just got to believe. So every church service or every time you get up in the morning, if you believe all things are possible, you can do amazing things. Just like that beautiful prayer language. Some of you are caught up on this, what, what you think is Pentecostal or charismatic or is this for today or is this for not today? I simply tell you, believe. Stop speaking English. If you speak Espanol, stop speaking Spanish and just let that prayer language cultivate out of you and let the Holy Ghost just overwhelm you with his goodness. You simply got to believe. The same faith you believe Jesus as a Savior is the same faith you receive him as baptizer. God's positioning us for this great power, that these great things would happen, but we have to get in that rhythm. We know rhythm to mean revival. Revival equals rhythm. It's the rhythm of God. When you're in the rhythm of God, you're in the flow of God. We sang the song of the river of God. That is where God starts to do things that we'd never dreamed before. But you and I have a part to play in that. And the first part we play in that is we have to delight in him. The Bible says in Psalms 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. As you delight yourself in the Lord, he does something as a result. You're putting him first. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things be added unto you. Many people hear scriptures like that and they immediately shrink back and they say, oh, Joey, I, I got to do more. I got I to gotta do more to serve God. I got to put God first in this area. I, I, can I tell you, friends, you've already put God first, many of you, by coming to church today. Some of you are waiting for to put God first. You came to church, didn't you? This ain't Randy's rodeo. This ain't the crystal pistol. You came to church. What you think you're doing? You're putting God first. And if you put God first, he says all these things start to be added unto you. In other words, you're delighting in him. You're already delighting in him by being here today. Some of you, I know you got that, I've been kidnapped and drugged to church. Look, it's okay. It's okay. Some of you are thinking, oh, there's too many hypocrites. There's always room for one more. This is a place where you, you, can, you can discover something because you realize you're, you don't qualify for it in the first place. You're not going to work your way into it. You're not going to pray your way into it. You've got to learn to delight yourself in God, and he does something. There's something that happens when you position yourself for this power. We see it in Luke chapter 10. Now think about this. God didn't just break off the power in the first century and say, you know, that's good for me. It's good for Peter, James, and John. It's good for the apostle Paul. It's good for a few others. But the scriptures say in Luke chapter 10 that he sent out 70. I think that's important because we, we are given no name of the 70 disciples. That's what the scriptures called them. And these 70 were sent out. They were sent out to do the same thing the 12 were sent out to do, to go and share about the kingdom of God. 
And as the 70 went out, he said the same thing to them. Heal the sick and do all these things. And when they returned, they were amazed. They were absolutely amazed. It said in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us because of your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He said, don't be impressed by demons that are subject unto you. They're low-level entities. Don't do that. As a matter of fact, he says, I give you this power to tread upon serpents, to tread upon scorpions. That represents things that would try to bite you and harm you. He says, I've given you power over all of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. We could stop right there, and that scripture alone, some of you are letting the low-level devils hurt you. You're letting offenses hurt you. You're letting other people hurt you. You're letting your own mindset hurt you. And God's already established nothing by any means shall hurt you. But it's about your priority. Don't focus on this thing or that thing. Jesus said, don't rejoice that demons are subject unto you, that everything's under your feet, that you, that you have nothing that will be able to hurt you. But you need to focus on this, that your name's written down in the Lamb's book of life. You need to focus on the greatest gift of mankind, the greatest gift, the greatest supernatural sign, wonder, and miracle. It's the gift of salvation. You didn't earn it. You didn't qualify for it. You didn't pray it into existence. You didn't work it into existence before the foundation of the world. God called you. He equipped you, and he loved you. Can I get a hand clap if you like that today? But the Bible says that your life is hidden in Christ, Colossians 3.3. And a lot of times people don't even realize the potential that's, un that's in them because they haven't unlocked it yet. Your life is hidden in this anointing of salvation, this miracle of salvation. And in this hidden place, that's why Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of you, not out of your head, because some of you need to turn your head off and get your heart turned on. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. What God is saying, in effect, is he's saying there's some places in you that I want to unlock I often hear people say, well, if, if I knew what I knew then, I, I would have made a different decision back in the day. If I know what I know now, but hindsight is twenty twenty. But what I would say to you, get rid of that secular philosophy and realize it wasn't unlocked yet. It wasn't unlocked yet. You didn't see how that person was going to do that to you. It wasn't unlocked yet. You didn't know that those things would happen. But God worked it all for the good. It wasn't unlocked yet. What you need to realize is your life, your anointing, it's hidden in Christ the Lord. And when you get this turned on and get this renewed by the word of the living God, miracles began to happen. But that's so important. But not only do you delight yourself in the Lord, then he says he'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 37, 4, again, delight yourself in him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. A lot of times we shrink back because, oh, I don't want, I don't want to put God out, Joey. I just, I don't qualify for that, and I don't know. And it's the deep down things that God wants to accomplish in us, to, that he would fulfill the desires of our heart. And sometimes we just, we really do not understand that because of the decisions and the choices that we make. And we say, well, I'm, I'm not qualified for God to press it down, shake it together and run it over. I'm not. But see, some of you don't even realize God put it in you. 
the desire of your heart, eternity. God put it in you. The unlocking of that eternity. I read it in Colossians 3.3. God put that in you. If God put that in you, then it's ready to come out of you. It's unlocked within you. It needs to come out. The desires of your heart. As a young man, I had no upbringing with a mother, a father, and as an 11-year-old boy, put out on the streets. And deep down in my heart, I always longed for a family. I always longed to have a dad, a mom, you know, good brothers and siblings that, you know, we were a family together. I mean, I had no idea that how family units worked. It was all dysfunctional. But I had it in the desire of my heart, a desire to, to, to just kind of, you know, have a, a good family life. I, I never really seen it modeled to me, but I'll never forget, you know, meeting Jennifer. And the first time I met Jennifer over 20 years ago, I was smitten, obviously. I'm like, hey. And I was, I, was just, I was just intrigued by her love for the Lord, but I shrunk back. I shrunk back immediately because I said, oh, I can't, I can't, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm from the streets. I have a background that's rough. I, you know, nobody that loves the Lord as much as her would really want to do, be with me because, you know, I got a lot of issues. I mean, I've got issues now, many years later. I, I have lots of issues. I am, I am jacked up. And I was just intimidated by it, and I, was, and I started to read this passage of Scripture that God would give me the desires of my heart. And I'll never forget to that place where I literally, I, I, unlocked, I unlocked it. I unlocked it. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this relationship a true chance and not put up a wall. Because my whole life, I just put up walls. I was hurt. I wasn't hard. I was scarred. I put up major walls. And I put up so many walls, it was hard to penetrate and break those walls. But I had to realize what I'm telling you. I had to let those walls come down and receive love so I can give love. And you know, tomorrow, it's going to represent Jennifer and I being married 19 years tomorrow. Yeah, cards, letters, cash, I'll take them. I'm serious. Cards, letters, cash, I'll take it all. Uh, gift cards, I like it. But I want you to look at that picture because the mullet is in style. No, it's no mullet. Look at that. That's tw 20, almost 20 years ago, and Jennifer was like 16. No. But look it, we have an aged a bit. And you know, down the road, years down the road, unless I get a real nice toupee, I'm going to have that picture, and I'm not going to have the problem like some of you. Uh, disclaimers, don't mind my jerry curl. That's world of curl. Don't mind my mullet. Don't mind this or that. Don't ride my rat tail. Like, yeah, your rat is going to be a broken tail. I show you that picture because I say to some of you who have been through a divorce, a separation, who have been through loss, God can give you the desires of your heart. You know, I desired a family, and God gave me a beautiful wife and two beautiful girls. They're sitting on that front row. He gave me the desires of my heart. My next desire is that God would give us a family in the church, that people would really come, and they'd bring family, and they'd bring friends, and they would stay. They wouldn't just come and go and treat us like a drive through restaurant, that they would stay and be a part of our family because it's near and dear to my heart. 
It really is. But God can do that. He can give us the desires of our heart. Young lady, he can do that for you. Don't settle for a cheap anointing. Don't settle for some guy who, who's on the missionary dating journey that you're on. Don't settle for that person who will not keep a covenant and commitment with God. What makes you think he'll keep one with you? Don't settle, young man, for that lady who her lips drip with honey and she's driving a Wonder Bread truck. Don't settle for any, the Bible says she'll reduce you down to nothing. Do not settle less than God's best. Can I get a witness this morning? But he'll give you the desires of your heart because God gives us power. That word power, many of you know it's dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from, the desires, the deep things. It's, it's important that God will, will get us down to the deep things to, to uproot it and bring it out to us. And I think that's so important because as you delight in him, as he gives you the desires of your heart, you'll be able to demonstrate that everywhere you go. It's what I call adding value, igniting hope. The Bible says that when we share that story of what God has done in our lives, it's the spirit of prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I have to demonstrate that, that life by, by, by adding value. How do we know we pass from death to life? When we love people. We don't pass from death to life because we speak in tongues. I've met some of the meanest people in heaven and on this side of heaven who do that. We pass from death to life when we love the brethren. When we love people, when we add value to them, when we're generous to people, when we have a kind spirit and we're kind-hearted, that's adding value to people. You know the word prophecy is defined as speaking on behalf of God? So when you share your story, that's what I encourage everybody to do. Share what God has done. Because there are ways to share that I think are, are so abrasive. There are ways to share that turn people off because you think it's your Holy Ghost Sheriff's job to close the deal and deliver them. It's not our job to clean any fish. It's not our job to fix anybody. It's not our job to win anybody to Christ. It's our job to love everybody. And as we love people... The spirit of prophecy comes on us because we are speaking life into those dead things. We're sharing about our life and our journey. And many of you, you don't even realize that you prophesy to people at work or at home, people every day. You're adding value to them. Never underestimate the power of your words and when you share what God has done. You know, there are ways you can share, and, and there are really three ways. You learn this in Bible school, and I'll help you because we'll go to school for just a moment. But one of the ways is apologetics. Apologetics doesn't really work when you're trying to convert somebody because many people, they can't find John 3.16 with the CNI dog. How are they going to scripturally kind of work them into salvation? That really doesn't work for this lost society, in my opinion. Apologetics is really a way to divide people. The word is rightly divide the word of truth. The word is not meant to divide us. And there's a world of difference. But apologetics is one way. I have friends that they travel the globe and, and they literally do apologetics. They come to people and they, through the scriptures, they reason with them like the Apostle Paul to, to bring them to a place of, of, of knowing Jesus. And that's one way. There's another way. It's called turn or burn. It's people, and you've seen them, and you know them. Hey, brother, hey, sister, if you don't receive Jesus, you're going to hell. And, and that Turner burn, they're talking to you and saying you're going to hell, and it looks like they just got back. You ever had people like that? If you don't come to our church, if you don't come to our Bible study, if you don't come to our deliverance meeting, you're going to hell. 
It's the Turner burn. But the problem with the Turner burn is fear will get your attention, but it won't keep you. Fear will get your attention, but only love keeps you. Then there's the alternative to those two. It's what I call adding value. It's sharing what God has done, whether it's with your family, with your child, with your life, with your finances. It's adding the value. It's, it's a thus saith the Lord without you being real spiritual. I used to have a guy that used to go to church, and I would hear him as a guest speaker, and he would, he would act like he was prophesying, and he would sing. But the problem was he had a terrible voice. And he would sing, thus saith the Lord. And he would try to sing it. And then when he would try to sing it, one day he said, thus saith the Lord, I want to meet you at Starbucks. And I'm like, I don't go to Starbucks. How's God going to meet me someplace I don't go? What's the point? God doesn't need that type of help for you to tagline it with thus saith the Lord. All you need to do is be you, boo. Be you, young man. Be you. You don't have to tagline it. God doesn't need that type of help. I just want to take you on a journey. Thus saith the Lord. It's like, okay, take you on a journey to the halfway house in a moment. I don't know where your journey's taking me, but I'm not going on it. But many times what happens is we, we come to church and we, we have the right look. We sing the songs. We have great preaching, especially if you go to Oasis. It's the best in town in heaven, this side of heaven. Yeah, the great stuff. But a lot of times it's really not a demonstration of power. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.1 in closing. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. What's the last days? It's the dispensations of grace. It's the last days that we're in. In the Old Testament, I told you about the prophet Joel. He was, he was longing for these days to see. The prophets of old, they wanted this day to come. They longed to be in it in the last days. Every dispensation is followed by judgment. The dispensation of law and innocence was Adam and Eve. And after they sinned, angels with flaming swords brought judgment upon them and kicked them out of the garden. Then there's other dispensations. Now we're under the dispensation of grace. And God never mixes, excuse me, God never mixes dispensations with judgment. So when people say, well, we're in the judgment of God, we're under the cloud of God, the anger of God, I say, you do not know God. God never mixes dispensations with judgment. Dispensation happens, it ends, judgment comes. And we are under the dispensation of grace because of Calvary. And here's the last days that we're in, the dispensation of grace. Here's what the scriptures say will happen. In those last days, what days is that? The dispensation of grace. Perilous times will come. That means crazy times will come. For men and women will be lovers of themselves. What do we have today? Let me take a selfie. How many selfies can one person take? Everything is a selfie. I can only do duck lips so long. I look like Howard the Duck. It says men would be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. That means the gospel can't go forth because people want to put it on their stuff instead of in the kingdom of God. Lovers of money. That means the tithes, the offerings wouldn't be a part of the believer. 
They would be boasters and proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people, turn away. Now those last points of the, of the, uh, of the scripture is amazing having a form of godliness, but denying the power. A form, the metamorphosis, the definition of form, a form, an outline, an image or impression, an outward semblance from Vine's expository dictionary. Godliness, many of you know godliness. It means be devoted. It means devout. It means piety characterized by a Godward attitude. It's well-pleasing to him. The form, the godliness, But how about the definition of deny? To contradict, to deny by way of disowning a person. To arbitrate, forsake, renounce a thing, to refuse. Contradict, to assert a kind of contrary, if you will, take an issue with it. Contradictory, to imply opposite or denial of. Your actions will contradict your words. That's denial. There's nothing wrong with having a form. Most churches have the form. Restaurants have the form. You go to a restaurant and guess what? They have a waiter, a waitress. They sit you down at tables. All of them have tables one way or another, unless you're some weird type of restaurant where everybody's sitting on the floor. I'm not coming to that one, but you might. But really, the forms are the same. The food is either good or it's not good. It's, it sometimes has music playing. Other times it has not. The form is there. How about church? Church is the same way. Most churches have the same basic form. You come in, music's playing, people are singing, clapping their hands, there's offering taken, the pastor gets up, preaches from the Bible. There's nothing wrong with the form. We obviously know there's nothing wrong with godliness. As Christians, we should kind of want a godly godly life. But the problem is this, when we deny, by not allowing the Holy Spirit to be free and to move. And many people, they just think that's equating to an hour and a half church service. They think it's clocked in to a church service. The Holy Spirit's not free and moving here. They do four songs. The Holy Spirit wants five songs. I had a lady some years ago, she came into the church service where we were at and she brought the flag. And I have nothing to say wrong about flags. I mean, if somebody's going to do the flag stuff, they they need to do it in honor, bring it up. Let's explain it. Let's talk about what it's doing, what it represents. But she just thought on herself to be real spiritual, bought the flag in and started whacking it around. And then at the end of the service said, Joey, what'd you think about that flag? Did you like it? I said, no. She said, why didn't you like it? I said, because number one, you hit me in the head with it. And number two, we didn't ask you to bring that flag. Well, the spirit quenched because we don't have flags. And spirit quenches because there's not this and there's not that and there's not this. That's not what it's referring to. It's for you living your day-to-day life and letting the spirit of God be free in you. Letting God move in you. Letting God have his way in your day-to-day life. There's nothing wrong with the form. There's nothing wrong with godliness. But it's letting the Holy Spirit have freedom in your life and being free to move in your life. But immediately when we say things like that, we just think it, I can't do that. I'm not worthy to do that. 
I can't believe for that. I can't believe. I can't have the desires of my heart. I've went through a divorce. I've went through a loss. I have a separation. I've got anxiety issues. I've got depression. Joey, I've got addictions. I, I've got issues. And here's the problem. Many times we just categorize it as a service instead of a life lived. And God wants you to be free to move and live. That's where the Holy Spirit dwells. Your day-to-day life, delighting yourself in Him. He'll give you the desires of your heart and demonstrate the delight and the desire by adding value everywhere you go. Isn't that good? It's an amazing word. But a lot of times we come into environments and we, we think ourselves a thermometer instead of a thermostat. We come into these situations and we think, well, this is just the temperature. And you don't realize that you're not a thermometer. You're a thermostat. God didn't call you to be a thermometer. You know how a thermometer is? They have to take your temperature, find out what temperature you're at. They take it this way or they take it that way. Some of you get that on the drive home. But that's not who you are. You're not called to be a thermometer. You're called to set the temperature. You're called to be a thermostat. You're called to turn up or turn it cool. You're called to be a difference maker everywhere you go. And our greatest fear in life should not be failure. Our greatest fear should be things in life that doesn't really matter and succeeding at it. It's not failure. It's succeeding at the wrong things. And so many times, because of our insecurities, because of our doubts, because we've categorized this thing as a service, and this is not moving, and this is moving, and I'm not qualified, and I don't think, and I just told you everybody can speak in tongues. I just, des- I just told you desire the spiritual gifts. You should desire those things. 1 Corinthians 14, every believer should desire the gifts. All of you have an opportunity to delight yourself in him. He'll give you the desires of your heart, and then out of that, you'll demonstrate it by Not a tagline of thus saith the Lord, but a life well lived. You receive that word today.